0: So the first
1: one I want you to meet is my wife, Carol. She's the one in that red. Now, why do you think she wore red and this young lady over there wore red today? Well, it's not Christmas. It's Valentine's, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. On the other side of her is longtime friends from New York, but they hail for many, many years now in Tennessee, and that'd be Tony and Val Vecchio. Tony has the Make It Clear Ministries shirt on. That's not his name, Make It Clear Ministries. His name is Tony. He is on the board of Make It Clear Ministries, but he also is one of our speakers, our national speakers. He goes into churches, he does seminars and conferences, all that stuff for all different genres. So if you'd like to know more about Tony and Val, you can certainly do that. On the other side, is the one who keeps us off of 60 minutes, and that would be our friend William and his wife Jody. William is on our staff, and he is the one as our office manager. We have 22 different people, as best as we can tell, that's on staff. None of them are paid, really, except for William, just a little bit. But a lot of gifting comes in so that these guys can be able to do what they need to do. And I have to tell you, William has really been a blessing to have with us in our life as well, so I thank you. Over on that side, these masked folks on this side. We have mask folks on this side. These are longtime friends. They used to be in my church up in New York called Perth Bible Church outside of Amsterdam. And where's Amsterdam? That's near Albany. And that's Ted and Lois Knapp, known them for 30, 40 years. And uh, they're now living in Castleberry when it's too cold to live in New York, all right? Yeah. So we're glad to have them here. Those of you that are listening, you're probably wondering, what in the world is he doing all of this? And that's because, folks, we need friends, don't we? We love family, at least most of them, I think. We love our families, but it's neat to have friends as well. And so I appreciate all of you and those of you that are making us new friends. Well, today is Valentine's Day, and I don't know when you're listening to this, but it's usually a day that a lot of people attribute love to that day. And I think I would, too. If you look at the outline message that you have in your little worship folder there, you can fill in the blanks as you go along and if I speak too fast and you can't get those blanks filled in, don't worry about it. I'll give you a full outline free if you just write me at More at makeitclear.org. That's tell me more at makeitclear.org. I will give you the full blast and you can have it. Now if you'll notice the title of this message is The Love of Your Life. Doesn't that sound romantic? I really had a different title for this. I called it at the very beginning, How's Your Love Life? But I had different staff members say, no, you can't say that, Stan. That's just too edgy, you know, and here am I saying that. So I toned it down and I called it, you know, the love of your life. And I want to talk about that. But since it is Valentine's, I have to tell you a funny little story. Many years ago, my wife gave me a Valentine's card. Now, let me clarify that. It doesn't mean I only got it one time in my life. She's very Even this morning, she she got this beautiful little Valentine's card for me. Now that we have a dog... The dog's name is on it, too. You you understand if you're a pet person. So uh, uh, last year, I got this card. And I have to tell you, it is the sweetest. I won't read it to you. But it she really kind of scratched me where my emotional life itched. She really knew how to say, I love you because. And it really meant a lot to me. It's a nice little card. The card had this, these guys that lived like around the turn of the century in a little antique car, kind of a manly Valentine's card that she gave to me. Well, the rest of the story is... One, I got the card and uh, I looked at it and I said, "This was such a precious card, honey. Thank you so much." She said, "Do you really like this card? Uh, this is not a joke. True story. I really do like that, honey. This is this is the one of the best cards you ever gave me." And then she said, "I've been giving you the same card for the last fourteen years. <laughs> that is not a joke." So she takes a card, takes it, and puts it back out again. Now. Please don't laugh at us men. We're not that observant, you know. Yeah, they're pointing. We all get that, I know. So I did a little background study on just the whole issue of Valentine's, and I'm not going to read all of this to you, but they're so cute, but they're statistics just about Valentine's. Let me just give you a couple of them. One of them says, about 3% of pet owners will give Valentine's Day gifts to their pets, Not, not cars, but gifts. I think it's really higher than 3%, the way I'm seeing a lot of people who have pets. It says in the United States, 64% of men do not make plans in advance for romantic Valentine's Day with their, with their sweethearts. On the other hand, it says that far as women goes, 15% of U.S. women send themselves Valentine flowers. Have you ever thought about that? I don't want to get too far into that. I, I could get in trouble with that. It says 73% of people who buy flowers for Valentine's Day are men, obviously, because you can get them on the way. I, I don't want to say I listen to all of your private talks, but I was sitting here looking through my message and I heard someone come in and they said this morning there were so many guys buying flowers, you know, so that just validated what I just said. Some of you are laughing and looking at your husband. I don't want you to do that, okay? Don't want to get him in trouble. A couple more here. More than 35 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolate will be sold for Valentine's Day, and uh, Hallmark has 1,330 different cards specifically written for Valentine's. Think about that, 1,300. I think they have that many Christmas shows every year, but let's go on with this. I'm going to end with that. I'll give you this last one. Uh, If you're a teacher, teachers will receive the most Valentine's Day cards, followed by children, mothers, wives, and then sweethearts. Children ages 6 to 10 exchange more than, and this shocked me, 650 million Valentine cards. That's a lot that they're doing. So I don't think we can deny the fact that, that uh, love is in the air, at, at least around Valentine's, right? A lot of people are willing to talk about that, and that's not too bad. But do you know how Valentine's Day got started? It really didn't say a president got up and said, we need to love one another. Let's have a Valentine's Day. You know? It wasn't like that at all. Truly in history, how, here's how it began. It happened about 250 years after the death of Christ, and it was in Rome, and there was an emperor in Rome. His name was Claudius, and Claudius in Rome really wanted to do more battles so that he could get more land and control more people, but he had trouble getting men signing up to go to war because they didn't want to go to war and leave their wives and their lovers, and so they couldn't do it, so he got really angry about it, and so he decided that, okay, I'm going to do this. If they can't leave their wives, What a stupid man. He said, we're not going to have any more marriages. All right, so he stopped all marriages. Well, in that town was a priest by the name of Valentine. And Valentine, he was one of those happy priests, you know, so he loved doing weddings. And his, quote, business was basically shut down because he couldn't do these weddings. Well, it was so bad that people were still coming to him privately. So Claudius threw him in jail with the threat of executing him. And so he went to jail, but people still had the spirit of love so much that while he was in his prison cell, they would throw flowers up at the the bars. You know, they would throw notes up at the bars at this guy because they too wanted to celebrate love and marriage. Well, while that was going on, the prison guard where he was had a daughter and that daughter believed in love as well. And the prison guard said, well, if you want to talk to Valentine, this prisoner here, you can do that. So after many visits, they would exchange a lot of you know sweet little nothings back and forth, and then one day he was to do a wedding there under you know the radar, and uh, guards came, soldiers came, and the other couple ran off, but he was stuck in prison, and they were dragging him off to get ready to execute him. So that last night that he was in his cell, he wrote a little note to this guard's daughter that simply said this love. From your Valentine. Well the next day he was killed, executed, and that was February the fourteenth, two hundred and sixty-nine AD. And so that's primarily where Valentine's got its name from quote Saint Valentine, who is really somewhat a person of love, from that little note, love from your Valentine. So I want you to think about that a little bit as we talk about love. Remember how I told you I was going to start the message about how's your love life? And I imagine there are probably hundreds, maybe thousands of pastors across the country today that are giving messages on how to have a happy marriage. Doesn't that sound like that would be what I'd speak on? How's your love life? How's your marriage? Because you don't have a love life outside of marriage. You get all that, I'm sure. And I wanted you to know that my belief in Scripture is, yes, husbands need to love their wives so much so that they would be willing... And would do it, give up their life for their wife, okay? But I don't want to talk about a man's love life, and nor do I want to talk about how a woman ought to submit and love her husband and be there to to do what they can to have a happy and healthy marriage. I would like to talk about what comes even before that, that which is the fuel that will help re-establish a healthy marriage. So it's not about healthy marriages. It's not how to have a good marriage. It's not about how to be a good husband. It's not how to be a good wife. It's much more than that. And here's where I'm going with that. My question should be this way. How's your love life with the Lord? Who is the love of your life? I strongly believe that if you are on the right page, paragraph, sentence, word, and letter of loving the Lord, the byproduct of that done properly will be a healthier relationship with other people. Let's talk about those who are not married. They would love their friend without stepping over the line of moral impurity because they love the Lord and the Lord loves them and they don't want to hurt that which the Lord loves, which is that other person, so they would not defraud them. If it's in marriage, if you really love the Lord, then you're going to love your wife, who's really your sister in Christ. And so she has a father, which is the Lord. And if he's the father, then I need to love the father and I need to love his daughter. And I'm going to love the the daughter the way the father loves the daughter. Do you catch what I'm saying? So the real issue is, how is our love life really with the Lord? So, with that in mind, I want to talk about loving the Lord, and I need to give you the, the the background of this, and then I'm going to give you a couple of points, and then we're going to have fellowship afterwards. So, let's, let's give you the background. You already know the verse that says that we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. It's found in Matthew, it's also found in another, another gospel. But when you read it in your Bible, you're going to see it often identify with a special identifier. Some versions will have it all in caps. And you wonder, why is all that in caps? Oh, it must mean that the Lord is saying that louder or it's more important. No. Why it's that way is because it's letting you know that it's also found in the Old Testament. So the whole concept for the Jews and for us today was to love the Lord with all of their heart, so it is an emotional thing, all of their mind, so it's with proper understanding. It's also with their will, because it's a choice that you do, whether you feel like it or not. So we're to love Him from the Old Testament to the New Testament, so the whole concept is to love the Lord. If you agree with that, can you say, uh-huh? Okay. The next part in Matthew, it says, we're to love the Lord and love who else? Our neighbors as ourselves, Correct. So if I really love the Lord properly, then I will love the others or those whom the Lord loves next properly. So I love him first, then I love the others. Now, with that as our backdrop, I want to talk a little bit more about really loving the Lord. So I'm going to ask you a question. And uh, this might be a good question to discuss on your way home in the car. Can a person who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior love the Lord as much, as consistently, as powerfully as a person who does know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I think they can love the Lord. I don't know if they could ever love the Lord as much as a believer in Jesus Christ can really love the Lord. Why? Because the Lord himself, who is the God of love, only lives inside a believer. And so now you have the Lord loving each other better. Now with that, let me go over a couple of points right here. So the question is, is how should I love the Lord? How how should I love the Lord? Or why should I love the Lord? What's the rationale behind it? It's very easy. I gave you one point, but I'm going to also take you through a bunch of scripture. I love the Lord because he first loved me. So that's why I believe that true Christians can love the Lord even more than the unbelievers can. I love the Lord because he first loved me. Now, if you want to, you can follow along, but I'm going to give you a lot of verses, so you may just want to listen. 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren that be other believers. So I love that. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. So here's the question. I know love because he described it in him loving me by dying on the cross for my sin. So if I'm going to love the Lord, then my love for him ought to be equal to willing to lay my life down back for him. That's pretty profound what I just said. Am I willing to give up my life because I love him back, do I? Now, some of you might say, yes, if I'm a Christian, I'm a missionary, I'm going to be martyred on the foreign soil because of Christ I'm willing to do that. Most of us won't have to do that. So we say, I got out of that one. But all of us will have to lay down our life today because laying down our life today means giving up some things, sacrificing some things in our own life for the furtherance of the name and the work of Jesus Christ, wherever we are. Are you catching me? So if I really want to love the Lord, it's because he first loved me. Let me go give you another verse. This is a cool verse. It's First John 4.10 says this, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That means a complete and satisfying payment for our sins. So when he died, it was the kind of death that God the Father wanted him to do. He took all sin on himself for all people, and he died and he rose again. So he satisfied whatever payment there was for sin. Jesus did all of that. So in other words, it's not so much that we loved him as much as He loved us. So here's what I'd like you to think about for just a moment. One of the motivating factors for us to love the Lord is to pause for a moment and fully experience, what did he do for us on the cross? Can you think about that for just a moment? What do you think his emotions were when he was in the garden? Well, I think he was disappointed in his disciples that fell asleep, right? Don't you think his emotions were running high? At the moment that he's there going to fulfill the Father's will, and then Peter goes off the reservation, he cuts off one of the soldier's ears and says, hey, whoa, that's not in the plan. Let's put his ear back on. Do you think it was when he was finally praying and sweating drops of blood? What do you think it was like when he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done, knowing that he's going to suffer something that physically he has never suffered before? So he experientially never knew that kind of pain. Intellectually, he did, because he knew what he'd have to go through, but physically, he didn't, because he never had to do that. So that could be a little discombobulating. And then he goes to the cross, and to me, having his best buds, the guys he worked with for three years, deny and run away from him? That must have hurt, but not as much as what I'm about to tell you. Is it going to be that all these people kind of trumped up charges, indicted him? then decided to fulfill the execution, the mocking, being nearly naked, then having him whipped, then putting all that cloak on him, letting it coagulate and dry for the amount of hours that he carried that cloak, having the thorns jammed on his head, ripping the cloak off, opening up all the scabby wounds again, the excruciating pain, having to carry a cross where physically he's just about shot, then having someone else help him but only to be slapped back up against that cross, that wasn't sanded and varnished, to only have his hands and feet nailed into that and jerked up and dropped into a hole and the body having to slide up and down on that cross with a bloodied back that was already ripped and torn. Do you think that was the worst part of it all? I don't. What well, I think it was when he was on the cross and he fought, and he finally said, you know, why have you forsaken me? At that brief moment that he took all of the wickedness of the... The defilement of the world for all time, of all people, on himself. Every bit of it for everybody. That one moment where God the Father, and they were one, had to separate because God the Father couldn't look upon that. So God the Son could die all of that. When I think of all of that, now I use the four-letter word, L-O-V-E. He did that for me. And because he did that for me, can I not in turn love him? So how's your love life? There'll be some missionaries in the past, there have been, there will be in the future that might go through some similar torturing, even while we're in this nice air-conditioned room in beautiful South Florida where people are freezing up north, there's going to be people right now being tortured emotionally, physically, I'm sure socially, but why are they willing to do that? because they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind. Let me give you another verse under this, and this one is my favorite of the three I just gave to you. If I had to pick a favorite out of three, they're all important, they're all powerful, they're all equal, but I like this one. Here it is, First John 4, 19. It says, we love him because he first loved us. I'd like to ask a personal question to you. You do not have to raise your hand. You don't need to um, share it with your family, but I would like you to ponder this question. It's a pretty heavy-duty one. Can you remember the last time that you said to the Lord, I love you, Lord? When was the last time in a prayer you said, I love you, Lord? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. I love you. I love you, Lord. Men will probably have a more difficult time with that, and I get that. A lot of times we relegate that. Yeah, I told the Lord I love him. In a praise song we sung, I love you, Lord. But have you really just said, woman to God, man to God, I really love you. I, I, I think we could. I think we should. I'd like to encourage you to add that into your love language. I love you, Lord. I really love you. I wonder sometimes if while we're doing that, that might bring about a mental, an attitude, and a life change. Because we're constantly remembering, we really do love you, Lord. And we mean it. I think it's a great governor in our life. Let me give you number two. There's not a lot of these. Number two. Why do I love the Lord? Because he hears my heartfelt prayers. I love the Lord because he hears my heartfelt prayers. Now, this passage I would like you to turn to if it's not out there in your folder. It's Psalm 116, because I want you to have your pens ready, because I'm going to park on a few phrases in here so that you could really see the content. I love the Lord because he hears my heartfelt prayers. Psalm 116, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 6. It's easy to follow, whatever translation you have. You can do it digitally or a hard Bible if you want, whatever. I'm going to start out by showing you verse 1. The very first four words in Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord. You got that? I love the Lord. So the question I have to ask is, who's the I in love the Lord? Well, the application would be you and me. I get that. But before we get to the application, let's get to the interpretation. I love the Lord. Who do you think wrote that? Who do you think wrote that phrase? I love the Lord. I did some research on this verse. I spent a lot of time going through it to make sure I'd have the proper interpretation. And here's what I cannot guarantee. I cannot guarantee that David wrote this. Most of the Psalms that David wrote, you will find that this was a Psalm of David or David was here when he wrote that. But in Psalm 116, it doesn't really say that. Some Bibles might, but I think they're guessing more than they're really having fact. Now that I said that, I'm going to contradict myself. When you look at the verses that do, and scholars do agree David wrote this, they sound very much in the Hebrew swing of words just like this does. So if it's very similar to what David did say that was identified, it's highly likely that he did say this. So the I in here is probably David. Let me give you another reason why I really think it's David, although it doesn't say it's David. Is that um, as David began to uh, get older in life, and I'm going to use the term as he matured in life, and as he matured in his relationship with the Lord... You'll, you'll find him more and more in love with God. Or at least he's expressing his love for the Lord more and more. Stay with me now. And when he does that, he says it in the context of when he's suffering and he's afflicted and he's going through more and more problems. Are, are you tracking with me right now? Have you ever heard anybody say... You know, I love my wife more now than I did when I first met her. Have, have you, raise your hand if you've ever heard anybody say that, okay? Maybe you said it. I don't know. Now, I, I'm sure as you're going to your honeymoon, you're all excited about that. Boy, I really love her, you know? But I think you're looking forward to the event, not to the relationship as much. Today, as we get older, we love our wife more and more. Why do we do that? Because we know her more. We've matured more. We've discovered more about her. And we realize how much more appreciative we are of our wife. Let's now take it to David. David, as he grew in his maturity, the more he just really loved him. Now, let me tell you a personal story. When I was in Bible college, I took two courses from a guy by the name of Dr. Mark Cameron. One course was Bible doctrines. It was a full year, so I'd have solid Bible doctrine. The second sophomore year was hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is just a fancy way to say the proper interpretation of the Bible or Bible study methods. All right, took it from the same guy. I was in my second year, and Doctor Cameron, very old man from Tennessee, all right, Chattanooga area, was led to the Lord by a guy named Billy Sunday. Have you ever heard of Billy Sunday? Some of you have. He's a little boy when he's led to the Lord by Billy Sunday, the Great Baptist. Baseball athlete who became one of America's greatest evangelists. All right, back to this. He often would say this, students, I want you to know I love the Lord, and I can't wait to be with Jesus. In fact, if you would cut my suspenders, I'd go up right now. Isn't that cool? That's what older people in the Lord that were back in that generation was. If you cut my suspenders. He didn't say that from class to class, one class, maybe two weeks later, he'd say the same thing. Remember my suspenders. I can't wait to be with Jesus. I love them. Well, I was not quite as outgoing as I am now. I was one of those kids that was really very shy. I felt very inadequate in college because I I, I just got saved like a year before I went to Bible college, a year and a half. And as um, So I finally had enough of that because I did not have that same love affair. I didn't want to go to heaven yet. I had a lot of stuff I wanted to do. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, don't, don't leave that out. But I wasn't ready yet to go now. All right? And so I went up to him after class, waited for everybody to leave. And I went to him and I said, Dr. Cameron, dear sir, I think there's something wrong with me.